This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. I'm Travis, if we haven't met, uh, and I'd love to uh, connect more um, after the service. But I'm going to start by just, uh, well, a little bit of a confession that I really do quite find it fairly entertaining uh, to read stories of other people's fairly embarrassing public fails. Uh, does anybody else uh, join me in that? Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, a couple of years ago, a guy called Andy Ryan popped up uh, this story on his Twitter. He said, I was in a park, and a lady loudly called out, anyone who wants an ice cream, come over here. So I headed over with several others. She handed out ice creams to them and then asked me, who are you? <laughs> and realized, oh, all of the rest of them were her family. And he said, 30 years later, I still cringe when I remember it. Uh, it is one of those moments where you go, where, how do you get, how do you come back from that? Uh, and of course, this then just opened the floodgates and people started sharing and started retweeting him and tweeting at him some of their stories. Um, just, just a couple, because uh, uh, look, we've all had a rough day, right? So let, let's lighten the mood. Um, Johnny Keats, uh, he, he popped in. He's my aunt. Uh, she was visiting in Greece and she wandered into an open air restaurant. She sat down, but she, she couldn't speak the language. Uh, she was a visitor. She had no Greek. And the people serving there, they actually had no, no English. So she just pointed at what other people around her were having. And so they brought her food and they brought her wine. It was only when she tried to pay and they refused that she realized she'd just crashed somebody's wedding party. Oh, how do you come back from that? Well, my personal favorite, because... Uh, well, it'll make sense. Uh, Mark, Mark Norman, uh, he tweeted and he goes, In my teens, I once bought a muffin from, from a cafe. And then I took it back. Uh, I took it back to, to get uh, the attention of the staff in the cafe, uh, saying that there were glass shards on my muffin. Oh, that's not good, right? Takes it back. There are glass shards on my muffin. I had never seen sugar crystals on a muffin before. Uh, how do you come back from that? I would suggest never, ever return to that cafe. <laughs> how do you come back from that? Well, tonight we're going to look at a how do you come back from that story, from Peter's life. But it's not that lighthearted or, or funny at all, really. It's the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. And it's recorded in all four Gospels. So for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... This is a pretty big deal, and they all include it, include it in their accounts. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, it goes like this. Uh, on the night of Jesus' arrest and betrayal, I mean, in, in the garden, all of the disciples flee when, uh, he's come, uh, when they come to arrest him. Although he flees, Peter will then later kind of tags onto the group that's going uh, to where the high priests are having this absolute sham and mockery of a trial of Jesus. And he's out there in the courtyard. And people kind of recognize him. They kind of put two and two together and they say, hey, 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 aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter says, you've got it there, I am not. Some of the other accounts um, recall a serving girl coming up and asking him, I think I know you, I recognize you by your accent. And to her, Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. And a third time, someone asks him, recognizing him from that night earlier in the garden. And again, he says, I am not a disciple of Jesus. Three times. 
the big, brave, outspoken leader of the disciples. Uh, This is Peter who was there with James, John, and Jesus as Jesus raised people from the dead. Uh, This is Peter who was up the mountain seeing Jesus be transfigured before him. This is Peter who's gone out as one of the 12 and then as one of the 72 and seen demons come out of people at a word in the name of Jesus. Three times, I am not a disciple of Jesus. That is cold. And for me, it's Luke's account of the story that is the most heartbreaking of all because he records this detail, that right after the third denial, this is uh, Luke 22, verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. He knew. He knew what Peter had said. He knew what Peter had done. And at that moment, it all comes back into memory. And Peter remembers the Lord saying that before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Luke records that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. This is a life-defining moment for Peter and not in a good way. It is a spectacular failure. A betrayal of the one who he followed, Jesus. The one who only hours before he had said, it could never happen, it would never happen, even if everybody else fell away, Jesus, I will never deny you. And yet, here he is. I don't know him. I'm not one of his disciples. What are you even talking about? How can he come back from this? I wonder if you've ever been there yourself in your life. You know, as as followers of Jesus, we, let's be honest, we follow Jesus imperfectly. We all fall short of the glory of God in how we live and the things we do and don't do the things we say and don't do the things we think and don't think, desire and, and don't desire. Day by day, there are ways that we could point to where, in a very real way, we deny and betray the relationship that we have with Jesus. I've certainly been there. Uh, And across my many years of following Jesus, there have been, on top of those everyday small failings, a couple of real clangers, a couple of real spectacular failures, where I just think, oh my goodness, can God ever forgive me? Like, I know Jesus forgives me, but can he really forgive me? Could God still use me? Should God still use me? Anyone been there? And if you have, then you know that pattern of thinking that that starts to play in on your mind, where you start to think, I've blown it. I've blown it. And maybe God would be better off choosing, using, working through someone else. How do we come back from these moments? Well, let's see what Jesus does in response to this. If you have your Bibles, physical or digital, I encourage you to open them. We are in John chapter 21 tonight, and it is one of, I think, I say one of my favorites a lot, but it's a very big book, the Bible, and I have lots of favorite bits. Uh, And John chapter 20 ends um, with these words. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Don't you think that's a good place to end your gospel account? Right? It feels like he's finished recording all the things about Jesus' life, but then he's got this one more personal thing. Uh, it's like he wants to invite us all in to answer that question, but what happened with Peter? Well, what did Jesus do with Peter? 
And by extension, what does he do with me? What does he do with us when we fail too? Afterwards, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, says Peter. Now, Peter has already seen Jesus two times after Jesus has been raised from the dead. He saw them with a bunch of disciples and then with a bunch of disciples with Thomas as well. Uh, And so this will be the third time that Peter encounters the risen uh, Lord Jesus. Uh, And yet what we know from this chapter is chances are that Peter hasn't had one-on-one time yet with Jesus. They've talked about a whole lot of things. Um, Jesus has been very clear that they're to wait there and and wait to receive the promised Holy Spirit, but they haven't had that, let's thrash it out. Let's actually talk about what happened on on the night that Jesus was betrayed uh, and arrested. And so in this period of waiting, of waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, Peter just says, you know what, I'm going fishing. Now, has anyone gone fishing before? Does anybody like going fishing? Do we need to do a PM service fishing social expedition? Yeah? You'd be up for that? Uh, well, some of my fondest memories from my young adult years are fishing. Uh, me and my mates used to go uh, fishing. It was great fun. I have great fond memories. In fact, uh, there was there one in particular that stands out to me. Uh, my mate, he was probably about 19 at the time, he bought this like $900 uh, station wagon. Um, I just replaced the tyres on my car. They cost more uh, than his first car. Uh, anyway, so we get in this bomb of a car. We, we fill it with all our camping gear and our fishing gear. And we're in Canberra at the time. So we drive from Canberra down to the south coast so we can fish for some estuary fish and brim and some flathead and all that good kind of stuff. We get down there, we go to the tackle shop, we get our frozen prawns, because that's what we're fishing with, then we go to the butcher and we buy some steaks, yep, we had high confidence and high trust in our ability to catch a fish, (laughs) Uh, no, the reality was we weren't going to be eating fish anyway, Um, we were just going for fun, we were going for the adventure, we were going to hang out and, and be together and to be in nature, it was recreational for us. Fishing, for Peter, means something else though, doesn't it? Do you remember what Peter was doing when Jesus called him to follow him? Fishing. What did Peter have to leave behind in order to become a disciple? The boat and the fishing nets and the life of fishing. Fishing was Peter's old life. It was his old occupation. It was how he used to provide for himself. It was what his role in society was. It was what he was known for in his community before following Jesus. He was a fisherman. And Jesus, having called Peter into following him, says, you're no longer going to fish for things that swim in water. I'm calling you to fish for people. And no longer are you going to be known as Simon, but actually I'm going to call you Peter because on this rock, on your confession of faith, I'm actually going to build my church And having encountered him after being raised from the dead, Jesus has affirmed over him, and actually you're going to be my witness to the very ends of the earth. This is Peter's new vocation. This is Peter's new calling. Fishing was the old life. Fishing was the old occupation. And so what's going on for Peter here? Well, the Bible doesn't explain everything, but I think there's a sense for him where he is still, I mean, we're only like a week or two after this, right? Still acutely aware of those three denials. He's acutely aware of his failure. 
He's probably daily battling shame and guilt and self-condemnation. And this idea that Jesus is going to call him into the next chapter in the life of God's plan of salvation for the very ends of the earth, he's probably sitting there thinking, now, I don't know if I'm the guy for this. I'm the guy that crumbles under pressure. I'm the guy that says, I don't even know him. And you want me to go and make him known to the ends of the earth? I think you've got the wrong guy. That old life suddenly starts looking a whole lot more familiar and comfortable. You know, we read a lot about the disciples being on boats in the three years that they followed Jesus. Never once do we read of them fishing after they left their nets to follow him. I think something in Peter yearns for the old ways, to shrink back from his calling and into something comfortable and familiar and known, something that he can do in his own strength, something simple that he can't fail at, something secure. Now, the commentators disagree to the, to the level uh, of what Peter's doing here. Is he actually going, you know what, I'm tapping out of this whole apostle thing and I'm just going to go back to my old career and and be a fisherman? Uh, Like me saying, that's it, I'm going to go back and I'm going to re-enroll in my law degree. I'm I'm going to go make sandwiches at Subway again, be a sandwich artist again, smell like bread for every every day of the week. Or is it just that yearning to just, I need to go back and taste a little bit of that old life? It's hard to know. But something's going on here. And the other disciples, they obviously still see Peter as a leader, and so they say, well, if you're going fishing, then we'll come too. And so it records that they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. Is there any physical repetitive activity that you do that gives you the opportunity to really think and reflect? Maybe you're a runner, and you go long distance running or on bushwalks and you just find your mind being freed up uh, to think over things and to reflect on things, to, to chew on things. And maybe you, you're a crocheter or, or a knitter or something like that. Uh, for me, mowing, I don't know what it is about it. I get out there, I mow, my body's active, but it just kind of frees my mind up to look back over and to think on and to reflect on a whole bunch of things. Did a couple of years of archery as well, and I tell you what, you get in that Zen state and you are thinking and reflecting and meditating on, on all manner of things. I'm willing to bet Peter had this experience out on the boat. I don't know if you know how to fish in the first century, but they go out at night. So they get onto boats at night because the fish come up near the surface. And they've got these nets that they prepare during the day to make sure that they're all, that no fish can escape. And they spend all night just throwing these massive nets into the water, letting the nets sink, hoping that a fish swims into them, and then pulling them up, pulling them up them up. It's quite physical and quite demanding work. So Peter's out there at night doing this over and over again. Out go the nets. Wait, wait, wait. Doesn't feel like any fish in there. Pull them up. Pull, 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 pull. Get them ready. All right, let's go again. And he's probably a little out of shape after a couple of years of following Jesus. So this is probably harder than normal work. But I like to think it gives Peter a whole lot of time to think and a whole lot of time to reflect And maybe he's sitting there thinking about that night. I don't know him. I'm not his disciple. And just wishing that he could go back and have his time over again. Wishing that he hadn't said what he'd said. 
wishing that he could give himself and commit himself fully to the mission and the calling that Jesus clearly sees in him, but still being filled with all that doubt and all that guilt and all that shame. And I reckon even as a big burly uh, Mediterranean sorry, uh, fisherman, I reckon even maybe a few silent tears were shed that night on the boat. But that's not where the story ends. They fish all night without catching a single thing. And then early in the morning, while it's, the light's still a bit hard uh, to see, there's this kind of silhouette figure out, uh, on, uh, out on the beach. And it's, it's Jesus. They don't know this yet, but Jesus stood on the, dis- on the shore. The disciples did not realize that it was him. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Uh, in the Greek, this is assuming a negative response. Jesus on the shore, you haven't caught anything, have you? Been out there all night, hour after hour. Net cast after net cast, net pulled in after net pulled in. You haven't caught anything, have you? And Peter says, no, <laughs> no, we haven't caught anything. So Jesus says, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Uh-oh, <laughs> that's familiar. They've heard that before. They've heard somebody give that instruction before when they didn't catch anything um, one night. It goes all the way back to when Jesus called them and revealed himself to them. And so just like then, they throw the nets on the other side of the boat, and it is filled, filled with so much fish. It's not even, uh, it's, it's out of control. 153, we later find out. I uh, don't know if that number is particularly significant. The commentaries have an all, all manner of fun trying to work out if that number is significant or if this is just fishermen boasting about their biggest catch that they ever had. Ask somebody uh, what's the biggest flathead they ever caught, and they'll tell you to the centimetre how big it was. Fishermen remember these sorts of things. But it's at this moment that John twigs and he goes, it is the Lord, it's Jesus. Uh, And so what Peter does is he just goes, all right, man, I am out of here. Uh, And so we read, Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken off and he jumped into the water. I love this about Peter. I reckon while he was standing there overnight casting nets, there was a little bit of him that thought, you know what? I deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be Peter, the apostle on whom Jesus is going to build his church. I don't deserve to be one of these first witnesses that receive the Holy Spirit to take it to the ends of the earth. I deserve to be back with the fishes. I deserve to be back with my nets. And you know what? I don't believe in karma, but given what I've done, I probably deserve not to be catching anything either. And yet his desire is still to be with Jesus. And so as soon as Jesus appears, they're 100 yards, 100 yards from the shore, but Peter's not waiting any longer. And he jumps into the water, swims straight to the shore to be with Jesus. I love this about Peter. I love this about this story. Even if, as an Australian, I would take outer clothes off before I jumped into the water, not put them on. But we run to Jesus. When Jesus appears, we run to be with Jesus. There's so much in this story, we won't go through every detail, but there's a lovely moment uh, on the shore. Jesus is cooking them breakfast. He's meeting them, he's calling them out, but he's also cooking them breakfast. And there's a fish on the fire and there is uh, bread there as well. And we know that Jesus can multiply fish and we know that Jesus can multiply loaves. He's done it uh, multiple times in the gospel accounts. And yet he invites the disciples to contribute to the breakfast. I just love this about God, that he invites us to participate with what he is doing, even though he does not need what we bring. 
and the guys, they finally get their fish to shore and they all have breakfast together and we've got no record of what happened over breakfast, no record of what they talked about, were they laughing, were they catching up, was Jesus giving them more instructions, was he unpacking things and explaining things while they're all so tired from their night fishing that they're just exhausted and just enjoyed the meal together in a companionable silence, we don't know. But what we do know is that after the meal, Jesus is going to bring up the elephant in the room. He's going to bring up Peter's denial. And so what we find is that Jesus and Peter, they go for a walk by the shore. Uh, we know this because uh, later Peter looks around and sees John following. So it's clear that Jesus and Peter are walking. And three times Jesus will ask Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Do you think Peter knows exactly what Jesus is addressing here? You betcha. Have you ever had somebody confront you about a sin in your life? It's really, really uncomfortable. But if that person is, you trust them and you respect them, and you know that they deeply and genuinely love you and are for you, as uncomfortable as that conversation is, you're also a bit relieved that finally you're able to bring that thing out of the darkness and into the light and work through it. And this is what's happening here. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And the scripture records that on the third time he was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. But he knows what it's about, and he knows why Jesus asks it. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. It's a commission. Jesus is commissioning Peter to be a significant leader in the life of the early church. Not just an evangelist that fishes for people, but a shepherd who will feed Jesus' sheep those who follow him. It's a, an illustration, it's an analogy of you and I. He's recommissioned, he's recalled, he is restored in this moment with Jesus. And Jesus just simply says, well then, I want you to follow me. And then he talks about how Peter is going to die, which might sound uh, really morbid uh, to you if you're reading the story, but I think it is a gift to Peter. Because I imagine Peter's got all manner of doubts. He's like, when I was under pressure before, I crumbled. What's going to happen in the future? And Jesus is just quick to assure Peter, you know what, Peter? When the stakes are the highest, when quite literally your life is on the line, you are going to die with my name on your lips. You are going to see this thing through, Peter. And so it's this beautiful and great affirmation. And the call is simply, well then, come and follow me. I love John chapter 21. I love this redemptive arc that Peter goes on and he experiences. I don't love that I can identify with him in his failure and in his denial of Jesus, but I love that I get to identify with him in that Jesus comes to me and he comes to you with love and grace and restoration. This truly is a story not just about Peter, but about all of us. Because it's not actually about Peter or what he's done or what he can do or will do. Ultimately, this is a story about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. 
in bringing grace and redemption and mercy and forgiveness and restoring us to be part of the good and perfect plan of God for our world. My encouragement to you is if you are somebody who is sitting there feeling, for whatever reason, how do I come back from this? How do I come back from this? How do I come back from that thing that I did or that thing that I didn't do that I promised God I would? How do I come back from that? Can God forgive me? Can he still use me? Have I blown it? I want you to hear this story. I want you to hear these words of Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, then come and follow me. You have a place in relationship with me. You have a place in my plan for you and for the world. Follow me. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.com. Dot info.